And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Pauline Glamachek. Pauline was previously on the podcast, and we spoke about her NDEs. We spoke about her seeing negative entities encountering Jesus and the Virgin Mary. Today, she returns to talk about the rest of her NDEs. Pauline, thanks for coming back, and welcome. Thanks very much, Jeff. I'm really happy to be here again. Well, thank you, because the podcast (laughs) only exists because of guests like you. (laughs) No, as I've told you, we really, um, I think the whole NDE community is just so um, happy that you do what you do with and allow people a safe space and you treat them with um, respect. So, um, yeah, that's very much appreciated by everybody in the NDE community, I think. Thank you very much. Before we get into your NDEs, I was reviewing our podcast together and I didn't get to ask you this question. I wanted to ask you one question before we start. And you spoke about that people have a monkey mind. And I think that's we all have a bit of chatter going on in our mind. Some people may even say without that chatter, we kind of don't exist in this realm. Um, so, and I believe you said that once you're on the other side, the chatter disappears. Mm-hmm. Can you comment more about the chatter here and chattering disappearing there? And why do you think it happens? Absolutely. Um, and I, I really appreciate that question because even though I had an experience with Jesus, I went on to study Buddhism and to meditate um, precisely because I wanted to get back to that state of no mind chatter. Um, and I believe it's because when we go over to the other side, we're we're very much in the moment, you know, everything's left behind. There's no past. We don't know what's where we're going to or what the future's going to be. So the experiencing of the moment is really full, you know, um, the perceptions that we have here, which are put upon us by through conditioning and uh, through inherited perspectives, uh, through cultural um, norms and all of that, that doesn't exist once you're leaving your body and, and your earthly life behind. So I don't know if that sort of makes it a little bit clearer, but... Um, it is, um, yeah, I think that's why that, that uh, Buddhist practice of meditation is uh, really helpful. But I've also found that um, praying the rosary, I don't like repetitive prayer. I like to have a personal conversation. But um, praying the rosary also does that breath thing, hmm. and it is so much about controlling your breath. Um quieting your mind Uh, controlling your breath means that you're actually controlling your physiology you're controlling your body you're taking um ownership of your machine you know of your um your material self so i hope that sort of answers the question when you don't have your material self you don't have all of the stored stuff that your body remembers and um, your mind wants to repeat to you the programming, you know. 
there's nothing overriding the experience of clear sight and being in the moment. It's amazing how breath is so important with controlling your mind. It is. It is because I think once you control your breath, your higher self, your spirit self is telling, is saying, I'm in charge now, you know, quiet down. I'm in charge here. I'm going to direct this show and not your reactive self. So you just expand your um, ability to respond to life rather than react to life. So, um, yeah. But as I said, that, that's, uh, it's not just that Buddhists do that. Hindus do that. Um, it's a practice that all religions are familiar with, that, uh, that practice of quietening the mind, being still. Yeah. All right. Well, your first NDE, I believe you were um, 10 or 11. And then the other NDE, I believe, happened in 2015-ish. So mm-hmm. let's talk about your other two NDEs. Right. Well, the 2015 one was the one that triggered me coming out. And, um, you know, I came out about my 11-year-old one and that was, and then it was like, well, it's you've actually had more, you know, more than the one. Um, and it's just given me more and more courage to talk about it. The one that I had as an 11-year-old was the most profound experience that I've had. But I also had an experience when I was 18 months, almost two years old. And I know they say you're not meant to remember things from way back then, but I even remember my first words <laughs> spoken. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, the experience I had as a baby, um, I was, just to give you a bit of context, My father was laying down. I was in my parents' bed in between them and mum had gotten up to do something in the kitchen. It was sort of like we were living in a bedsit kind of situation. And uh, my father was laying down and he was smoking. And as a child, you know, I wanted to touch the, I was fascinated by the red, you know, um, the cigarette glow. So I took my little finger and, you know, touched it. I was just in that baby stage of mastering my body. And and so, yeah, I touched his cigarette and immediately, obviously, it hurt and it blistered up and I developed pneumonia from that. But I also became a left-hander from that Mm. (laughs) Um, because I touched it with my right hand. But, yeah, so I developed bacterial pneumonia from this blister Um. And ended up very, very sick. My parents took me to the doctor a number of times and the doctor would just say, well, it's just a cold and blah, blah, blah. Um, But I deteriorated really quickly and ended up in hospital and um, just basically had an, you know, after struggling and being in a lot of pain and not breathing, it was very distressing. Um, But then I just left my body and just felt this joy um, of being, you know, just I could see everybody fussing around me, but I was just so relieved and happy and light and no longer in pain. Um, 
But yeah, I didn't encounter anybody. It was just purely an out-of-body experience. So that was my first ex- um, near-death experience, out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one occurred when uh, we were at, I was at school. Um, English was my second language. So um, I was quite a shy child at school. Um, Australia was a very different place back then there was something called the white Australia policy. And um, really, if you were, uh, it wasn't as multicultural a country as it is now. Now it's it's a very multicultural country now, um, thankfully. But, um, yeah, I I copped a bit of flack at school, you know, as a a young child, only six or seven. And, uh, like, I remember once I... This is um, this was very painful to me as a child, but I had this round lunchbox and it screwed on, and it was nothing like everybody's kids' lunchboxes with stickers and the happy faces. Mine was grey and it had this plastic see-through lid, and um, Mum would make me salami sandwiches and things, you know, things that we ate, you know, or dried meats and um, you know, like prosciutto and and. Uh, those kind of European cheeses, and they're all very aromatic, we'd call them now. But to a child, um, to an Australian child, that was like, wow, you know, that was such an unfamiliar smell. And I just remember one time, this is going a little bit off track, but it might describe, it might help you understand um, my state of being at that time. Um, yeah, this kid, you know, was just, accosted by the smell and he likes that in my lunchbox, you know, and this was just horrifying. I just wanted to be um, invisible at school from then on because it was just such an insult. It was so horrific a thing, you know, to to do. Um, It was really upsetting. But shortly after that, we uh, had a, a school excursion and, Things weren't so run by insurance back then. Uh, it was about 50 years ago. So, um, yeah, about 50, 49 years ago. And uh, the um, the teachers took us to the beach, a whole class. And, I mean, we were a grade year two or year three, something like that. Yeah, towards seven years old. Anyway, and so they took us to the beach and it was a beautiful day and we were sort of, you know, they did the drill about um, safety, water safety and all of that kind of thing and we did that on the sand and then they just let us go free, you know. And my girlfriend and I, Clarissa Orlick, um, we sort of paddled in and we went waist deep, you know, we had no uh, sort of fantasies about swimming or anything like that. We were both... um, she was Russian, I was Croatian. So, um, yeah, we were both also, English was our second language, so we weren't such great communicators and we just stuck together, you know, we with the best of friends, two peas in a pod. And um, so we were just in the water and the, a rip just took our legs from under us and, and pulled us out to sea and... Um, she didn't go out as far as I did, but it was completely unexpected, you know. As a child, I didn't know about water, 
you know, I didn't really, you don't understand about riptides and, um, and such things. Um, yeah, and we were, I was just taken, taken by the ocean. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, tossed around, tossed and turned. I didn't have a chance to take a breath. Um, and so basically I think that I drowned very, very quickly. Um, I remember opening my eyes and it was just as though I was in a washing machine. There was just, you know, sand. I couldn't see anything. My eyes were stinging from all of the salt water and the, tur- you know. Um, and so I kept my eyes closed and felt myself thud to the bottom of the sea, ocean floor. And um, I just felt suddenly a lot of peace, everything suddenly quietened down. And I felt behind me as though suddenly I was held and um, suddenly felt very safe and peaceful. And, um, yeah, this this feeling of warmth um, came over me and safety and there was no struggling for breath anymore Um I was just told, open your eyes. And I know this, I know how it sounds, but I felt like God spoke to me and that God was there with me in the ocean. And um, he just said to me, open your eyes. And I said, I can't open my eyes. It stings, you know. Before he said that, he let me know that I'm safe and that I'm loved and it was just this, he overcame me with this peace, you know, this loving peace. Um, And he just uh, said, open your eyes. And when I eventually opened my eyes, I could see more clearly than I've, you know, than I could see before and Mm. everything was really lovely and I could see the sun shining through and the sea was suddenly calm. Everything was calm um, and peaceful. And he didn't say anything to me. He just buoyed me. I just felt like I was pushed up, just buoyed up. Um, and I came to the top and I was just imbued with all of this calm. And I did exactly as we were told to do. I came to the top and I just waved and I bobbed down and I just knew there was no struggle. I just knew I'm going to go down and I'm going to go up again. I'm going to go down and I'm going to go up again. Um, And there was absolutely no panic with me. Um, Sure enough, the teachers saw me. I was spotted and teachers swam out and took me under the chin and swam me back to shore and um, when I was on the sand, I was vomiting up water and I was just full of full of water. Um, I didn't stop regurgitating. Uh, so, yeah, so they took me back to school, um, dressed me, took me out of my wet clothing and dressed me. You know, they used to have these spare clothes, you know, in the lost and found and so I was <laughs> Dressed up in all of these weird clothes and I was mortified, Jeff. I was absolutely mortified that I'd drawn so much attention to myself and, um, you know, it was very, very embarrassing. Um, So they took me home and my parents were also, you know, uh, alarmed that that had happened to me. But 
Um, because I was so mortified, I didn't tell anybody about it, um, apart from Clarissa. Uh, but she she didn't have the experience that I had. She wasn't taken out very far. Um, but yeah, so that was that was. They're the two other NDEs. Are you saying that after your experience, you could see better than you were before the experience or just better from seeing blurriness underwater? Just the blurriness underwater. But I could feel um, there was a different, I just had a different kind of um yeah, I had a sense of God. And as a seven-year-old, not that I had a sense of um, the kind of uh, things that were revealed to me when I was 11 about the importance of love um, and all of the other things that were revealed to me in my 11-year-old, but I had a sense of God. I knew that God was real and um, I knew that he saved me, you know. Mm. Uh, I, some people sort of say, well, how do you know it wasn't an angel? I don't know. But I sort of I say God because it could have been an angel. I didn't see he didn't introduce himself, um, but it was definitely you know it was such an authoritative voice, and it was a voice I recognised on some level. So even though he didn't identify himself as God, you still feel that it was. Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. I feel it. I feel it was. Yeah. So out of all four NDEs overall, how do you feel like you've changed? Well, as I said, I think, you know, three of my near-death experiences were very loving, but it was the fourth one um, that changed me the most because of that encounter with malevolent beings, you know. Mm. Um, I think before my 2015 NDE, I was very liberal uh, um, and I still pride myself in being non-judgmental um, but it, it did teach me about spiritual boundaries that 2015 one and it did teach me about um, cleaning the inside you know constantly cleaning out the inside of my cup so that I'm not harboring any kind of heavy emotional baggage and again you know the catholic church it i remember sunday school that it taught us about the seven deadly sins and it is like every time i feel something come up in me whether it be anger or you know dealing with it compassionately and, and with the loving you know seeing it very lovingly like christ looked at me um helps me to resolve it you know with with the Self-talk, it's sort of, it's like negotiating with a, a, a child who's mistaken, who's often mistaken. Um, so, yeah, it's really fortified that inner relationship with me, the last, the 2015 one. And yet that was the briefest, most unremarkable. Um, but the after effects were just, you know, they carried on for so long in this realm. Uh, in in you know in worldly way and actually my sister also has witnessed she was allowed to witness it so it's, it spiritually fortified me the 2015 experience even though it was with 
negative entities. So, yeah. After that experience, did you become more or less religious? I became much more devoted to Jesus. Um, I kept on falling back with the other experiences. I kept on falling back into uh, this hypnotism, this material material hypnotism, you know, which is uh, uh, this over-reliance on the outer world and neglected the inner world, even though I'd had those experiences. It was only the 2015 one that helped me to, um, yeah, really learn about how to maintain your inner world and and self-compassion and self-understanding and really loving Jesus and um, letting his words wash over me. So in that way I became much, much more spiritual. But, um, yeah, I I find religion really difficult because when I find, you know, I've found um, leadership, church leadership is very challenging for me because in my 11-year-old NDE, Jesus really showed me that everybody is so very equal, the equality of everybody. Again, that's why I went to Buddhism because they sort of believe that, you know, uh, an animal's life is as precious. Um, Jesus showed me, you know, that every single person is precious. This kind of prejudice that we have, Muslim against Christian, against Jew, against Hindu, against, you know, all of these kind of political uh, religiosity, it just has nothing to do with him, who he is and what he wants for, for each and every one of us. So, yeah. After all your experiences or after one of them, did you get any abilities that you didn't have before, like precognition, clairvoyance, anything like that? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I remember this one time. It was really – I love the ones where – I don't like to talk too much about it because I don't want people to look towards me. And for answers, um, I really like to help people to find their own answers. But I remember this one time I could be quite, I could be very flippant about it. And I think our connection also ebbs and flows, Um, you know, our our connection with the divine, with Jesus, um, with God, with um, however you want to call it. I understand it's, you know, it's uh, everybody's uh, has their own perceptions. But, um, yeah, one time we were going to a a picnic and there was a lottery at this soccer club picnic. Um, It was a family picnic and my son was, he was only, I think, seven or eight or so. Um, And there was a lottery and I just looked across at what the prizes were and I said, they they came to offer me tickets and I said, yep, yeah, I'm going to win that soccer ball because I thought I wanted that soccer ball for my son. And, you know, there were people around me and, yeah, I won the soccer ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I love those instances where um, they're very, very little things, but when you have the courage to sort of say it out loud and other people acknowledge it, 
um, it's really gratifying. But then I don't want my ego to get in the way because I really love my connection with Christ. And I find that if I'm not humble, I don't have it. And for me, it's more important than anything else. I don't have any other kind of, um, nothing fulfills me like that connection. Um, so, yeah, I do have it, but I, if it's if it's um, necessary, I, I, I'll speak about it, And but I don't sort of, um, and I respect mediums and, you know, people who, who do that. I know that it's very helpful for a lot of people. I don't judge anybody who does that, but for me it's not the right thing for me because, um, um, yeah, I just get too big for my boots. What do you think about your experiences inspire you? The most inspiring thing is I love that I it gives me peace, you know. It gives me peace and I love that I see that it changes other people, other people's faith and other people's strength and um there's just something about it just opens up when I share. It opens something up in people that they find the courage within themselves to acknowledge. And, um, yeah, I think that's the that's the greatest thing that I received from my NDE here um, is seeing that little shift that takes place for somebody where they'll suddenly appreciate their own interior life. You know, we're so programmed to uh, look to the outside uh, to possessions, to body uh, image and um, to status, to uh, popularity, to um, aligning with group think so that we're safe, you know. But I don't know, you know, and that sort of puts us out of alignment with, with our inner voice and, I really love that when I do tell, and I, when people listen to NDEs, they give themselves permission suddenly to remember that little reminder that God sent them or um, that feeling that came over them and it was realer than, you know, uh, as real as sight or as real as uh, something they've heard or that voice inside of them. Um, yeah, I think that's what I really love about being an NDEer, and that's uh, the greatest gift that I've received. Um, look, and being around, I'm really lucky too because I've had uh, life has brought me into a circumstance where I've had to live with somebody, my sister, who actually um, sees also more and more as she lives with me, she sees things happening. And she's seen things as well. So having that validation as well, I think, is such a gift. I would not have the courage without, for example, uh, we were sitting there. She sits on one end of the couch. We've got, you know, one of those L-shaped modulars and she sits in one corner, I sit in the other. We give each other a lot of space. Um, And we're just sitting there chatting away and suddenly this really bright golden light appeared behind her and I think someone someone had just passed away in our family recently or we were talking 
oh, yes, yes, my uncle overseas had recently passed away. And so we were in mourning and we were thinking a lot about him and his passing. And this huge bright light in our lounge room, the lights were on, but this golden bright light just flashed and it flashed a little bit longer than 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 a light bulb sort of flashing or um and I was facing it and she was it was kind of behind her but we both saw it and we both said did you see that um so yeah I think that validation uh I've seen it change my sister my sister's uh countenance she's much less anxious and now that she sort of gives herself permission to see it. It's just like with numbers, Jeff, you know, people are sort of saying, I'm seeing 1111, I'm seeing 222, I'm seeing 333, 444, 555, whatever it may be. And when you notice it and you give yourself and you don't just say, that's just a coincidence, that's just a coincidence. When you acknowledge, I'm noticing these more frequently, it actually happens to you more frequently. And it's just like a little reminder to check in, to check in with that holy part of yourself. So what are you saying? What does that mean when someone keeps seeing repetitive numbers, 222, I think it's just the opening of your spiritual consciousness is happening. Um, and it's happening on a massive scale now. After I came back from seeing uh, Mother Mary's sorrow and I came back into Jesus' glory, he told me that, like, more and more people would, um, you know, that this would, that he would visit more and more people and that there would be more and more people talking about, um, you know, acknowledging him. In 1977, you know, religion and spirituality, it was just, that was the domain for priests and for clergy you know it was not for common people like yourself and I um it was just like a practice or something you walked but you didn't really it wasn't a part of who you were really you were busy making a buck um maintaining social uh contact and social relationships um getting ahead, getting the new Chrysler or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is it is happening that more and more people are noticing and they're checking in, they're opening up, they're sort of not saying it's just a coincidence. They're prepared to let go of that dismissive uh, attitude um, that the mind sort of has been trained into ignoring those kind of signs. I think it's just... In different ways, I think there are different numbers have different spiritual meanings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a numerologist, but I do think that, you know, they they do represent things. I mean, numbers in the Bible represent things. We know, the I think of Tesla and, and, and Einstein and 369 and um, all those kind of things in mathematics. And, uh, yeah, numbers are relevant. And they are, because numbers are also a concept, they are also like a little, like a portal in their own way, you know. Um, 
Yeah. Letting, uh, once you recognize that, you recognize other things that will happen that give you kind of a sign, you know, about something being okay or not okay. Or, um, and they just remind us to be present too. If you met somebody who, who say had an NDE last week and they had trouble coming to grips with their experience, how would you advise them? I would advise them to talk about it and to surround themselves with people who have had similar experiences. Um, just don't isolate. I went through a very long period of denying it and it does psychic damage and it's almost like living with one hand tied behind your back. Um, I think we're often given these experiences to supplement our lives because for, for whatever reason we have a rough start in life or um, whatever it may be. So to deny that is almost like handicapping yourself. I understand that, you know, there there is that branch of psychology that uh, likes to pathologise such things because it is a threat to science. It is a threat to materialist science uh, in a way. So... I think, yeah, I would encourage them to talk about it, to join the community, to listen to your podcast, um, be discerning about who they share with because after you've had an NDE, you are in a delicate state. You are in a, a psychically delicate, psychologically delicate state. So, uh, yeah, I would just encourage them to surround themselves with the right people, choose their tribe, you know, choose their people um, and listen, listen out for similarities. When I first came out, when I first started researching in 2015, if I don't know what I would have thought if I didn't find Howard Storm. When I found Howard Storm, it was, oh, thank goodness. So many um, different people have different kinds of experiences and if you can find that experience that resonates with you, that's that's helpful. You know, that's really helpful and it helps you to integrate your experience and to accept that spiritual aspect of yourself that you've perhaps locked out or neglected. Mm. So that would be my advice to them. Um, and if you're finding yourself down, depressed, which happens because, You've come from a beautiful, divine, loving, all good feeling to this place of contrast and friction. Um, you know, get support. Get support. If you can't find a group, start a group. If you can't, um, yeah, if you can get counselling with somebody who's qualified in the field, who's had an NDE experience themselves, um, they're probably the best qualified people to help you. Um, I know IANS has uh, some people. Um, unfortunately, I've taken my, well, I took my experience to uh, a particular priest and it does a lot of damage when somebody who is assigned to the spiritual care of a flock refuses to admit that this could happen to somebody as lowly as, you know, they take that sanctimonious thing, well, you know, you're trying to start a new religion or, you know, this is against God or so many uh, 
there's spiritual jealousy that comes into the picture, there's spiritual envy, there's all kinds of factors and people don't know how to take it, you know. Um, it also depends on which stage of their life they're in. So finding somebody who's qualified insofar as they understand the phenomenon um, and or have experienced it themselves. So, but, yeah, I, I'm looking to start up a, a a group, a support group. I've done it once before, um, but I think I'd approach it from a different way. I was a little bit too democratic last time. So. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think a support group is is a really good thing. I believe a lot of people come to my podcast because someone in their life close to them had recently passed. So what kind of reassurance can you give those people that we are eternal and life goes on and their loved one is still going on? As far as I'm concerned, um, and words are, you know, words are not as powerful as experience, but I have no doubt whatsoever that life goes on. I have no doubt that God is, there's just nothing bad in God, no um there is just, he loves us fully. He loves us completely, regardless of what we've done or haven't done or believed or haven't believed. Um, his love is just so full. Now, can we keep ourselves away from his love? I think so. But I don't think it's it, we can do that forever because the power of his love is just, it's everything. It is everything. And we're mistaken. Yeah, we can be mistaken and we can wander away from love. And actually, you know, the word sin means mistake. Hmm. And just like children make mistakes, God knows our heart. He knows things that drive us to make mistakes. He knows things. Um, he knows our how our, our thinking can be hijacked here Um but he wants us to find our way back. Um, but, yeah, I have no doubt that sooner or later everybody finds their way back home to God. Mm. I have no doubt that he loves everybody, just the same love that I experienced that he has for every, and he told me literally that he has that for every single one of us. And you're departed, I'm, we recently lost an uncle. He was a Franciscan priest, actually, and um, we had friction, he and I, um, because he was very much by the letter and by the book, and I was like, well, can't you see that that's not loving, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, I was a bit of a rebel in my early years, uh, and, well, a lot of a rebel, actually. There wasn't, you know, I was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, but... Yeah, so it takes a while for us to, uh, I don't know. I've just had so many signs from him. I just I just know that everybody goes there. Everybody goes there. Um, if you believe, if your consciousness in, is invested in reincarnation, I believe that that's where you're going to go because we are created in the image of God and we do create our reality with our focus. 
So, um, but as far as uh, his love, it's it's not kept from anybody who who wants that, you know. Um, and it's just a heaven is um, it's it's amazing, you know. <laughs> you it just it, it's there's just no high like it. There's nothing, nothing can compare. No love between man and woman. No love between parent and child. It is just the fullest. It make you're complete. Once you're in heaven, you're complete. You're happy. Um, so yeah, I would say to anybody who is grieving and mourning. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to say about my uncle. There was a lot of grief around it, but I just knew, you know, if there's anyone that's going to be in heaven, it's him. He was, you know, I just had no grief. I was so happy for him, and sure enough. I had a dream that, you know, he was sitting at this table and there was just celebration going on. Everyone was happy and uh, preparing this meal and setting this table and it was just beautiful. It was just, yeah, I had a glimpse of him in heaven in my dream. Um, So, yeah, I I would just reassure people that it's very rare that people get stuck. People do get stuck. But it's very rare. And I do believe that our prayers help people to cross over as well. Um, Our forgiveness helps people to cross over. Um, Often the weight of not being able to forgive ourselves or forgive others, that will keep spirits here. Um, But, yeah, so so working at forgiveness. When I say that, I, I really want to correct something about my last podcast because it's one thing to say forgiveness, but first of all, we have to lovingly accept who we are and that means forgiving ourselves, you know. That way we can extend, truly extend forgiveness. So every time I feel resentment, I come to myself and think, oh, it's not that you shouldn't be feeling this. It's the what's going on inside of you. What hurt part of you is appearing to be healed right now? Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, this relationship that we have to ourselves. When we connect to our own spirit, we also connect to others on that level. Mm-hmm. I think the Hindus say namaste, the divine in me honors the divine in you. And, yeah, there's another truth. To paraphrase one of my previous recent guests, she said that even though you've had an NDE, you're not a saint. You still no. come back and you're still a human and you're still make you know, perhaps you're still making mistakes and doing the wrong things and exactly. still living a human life. I don't know how much time have we got because I've got a, just a short uh, experience that I'd like to tell you about regarding that on that point. Um, when I was in my 30s. So I had my experience as an 11-year-old, and you'd think if you've met Jesus that you would be the most devout person ever after an experience like that. I mean, who get that's just, whoa, you know. But no, <laughs> you come back into your earthly self. You come back into puberty and drives and um, and, uh, and social anxiety and uh, uh, pressures and all of that kind of thing. Um and you very quickly, if you're encouraged to disconnect from that side of pardon me, yourself, you turn your back on that and you look fulfillment in other things like drugs, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, yeah, I was 33 
I'd done some things that I wasn't very proud of in my life. Um, and I was living a very materialistic life. Um, I, I'd done some things that I wasn't proud of that were really, um, really played and weighed heavily on me. And I'm not going to use your program as a confessional here, but um, I'll leave it to your listeners' imagination. But I'd done some things um, and I really thought, you know, that I was cast out in a way. Not, I didn't consciously think that, but I think that on some level I believed that. Anyway, by this time I was a single mother. Um, my son was uh, uh, just started school, five or six years old, and my parents were going to Europe and asked if he could come with them. Um, I was working really heavily in the family business, and so I said, yeah, okay, you know, um, I thought I don't know if I'll have the opportunity for him to go and learn another language and have all of that education that travel brings. So um, as difficult as it was, I said yes, but I didn't count on how difficult it would be. So I... Um, I was just basically working and I realised one night that I missed him so desperately and I thought, oh, gosh, I really had no love, you know. I really don't love anybody apart from my son and I don't experience love from anybody apart from him. And I thought to myself, what a heavy weight for a little boy to carry, you know. Um, and Anyway, I laid on my bed Actually, I lay on his bed and I was just curled in the fetal position. Um, it was a really, I worked in a, a heavy industry and it was a really stressful kind of industry too. Um, and I was so tired and sad, just brokenhearted. I developed um, depression. It had gone into a, a kind of... Um, it had turned into clinical depression and I was just coming out of it and just sort of moving to the point where I could function. But this night, so I was already seeing a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist at that stage. I was seeing a psychiatrist. Um, so, But this night I, I lay there and I was just thinking these things about love and um, I just started crying and, and heaving from sorrow, you know, um, missing my son so very much. And I thought I heard, I felt something behind me. I didn't hear anything, but I definitely felt this pressing up against me, this warmth. And first of all, I thought, oh, that's weird. I'm feeling warm. And then it felt like a real pressing up behind me. And it was like I was being cradled and the thing, I immediately thought, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten because we'd had a break-in in the house once before. Um, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten to lock the house and now I'm going to be raped, you know. I just froze in fear because I've, it was palpable feeling. Anyway, the next thing I knew, so I was already a sinner. The next thing I knew, I was imbued with this golden energy and it was from the tips of my toes through my, through the back of my spine, permeating into the front of me, into my heart. I had my eyes closed. I was frozen with fear. And then this started permeating into me. And simultaneously, this voice that I recognized said, be not afraid. It is I. 
I have not forsaken you. And after that, well, after that, I was basically cured after having that experience. But after, yeah, this peace, this complete relaxation, trust, I felt him just then once it was like as though once he'd given me that peace, he exited through the top of my head and I just knew he's gone back into space. And there's that, there was just that knowing, that connection with space again. Um, so anyway, I went to uh, my therapist. I woke up in the morning and just felt fabulous. I felt amazing. Um, I went to my therapist and told him about it. He was unimpressed. He said, oh, well, perhaps you should study metaphysics. Um, and I could tell that he didn't believe me. Uh, but I started seeing him less and less. Um, I sort of started noticing the way he tried to play with my mind. Um, and eventually it came out and he's now been disbarred because he actually was messing with his clients. He was taking advantage sexually of his clients. And now I believe that Jesus did that so that I would come out of this state of clinical depression and be safe from him because not long after I waved bye-bye, he called me desperately, come back and, you know, this is too soon and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, so um, that's what I'd say to people about the love of God, that there's just, you know, we're the only ones who can separate ourselves from it. Um, but yeah, he's, he, he, there is no, there is nothing that we can do if we want love and seek his love. There's nothing that we can do to keep him from us. Not even what is known as the gravest sin. And I think that comes to that, uh, you know, that, uh, saying about, you know, you can, every sin can be forgiven except for sinning against the Holy Ghost. And I think that is it, you know, that when we shut ourselves off to love, to, to believing in that we are loved by God, the creator, um, once we shut ourselves off to that, that is like the mistake that isn't forgiven because we shut ourselves off. Does that make sense? I think so. <laughs> I kind of got hung up when you were saying everything is okay except sinning against the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I started thinking about that and I got hung up with that. What do you mean by that? Okay. Um, I think, you know, the Christian tradition uh it, it says that, you know, every sin can be forgiven um, except for sinning against the Holy Ghost. And for a long time I thought, well, what does that mean? I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean committing suicide? Does that mean, um, you know, blaspheming against God? What does that mean? And it actually means what, I, what I've come to understand is that it means cutting ourselves off from that divine spark of love. So becoming just um, cutting that so ourselves completely off from that. Now, very few people 
cut themselves off, but we can. We can cut ourselves off by um, just choosing not to believe in that, choosing to believe in man-made hierarchies, choosing to believe in, um, you know, not having empathy for others, um, choosing to be just completely material, completely pragmatically logical, worshipping, yeah, worshipping money or, you know, completely denying our own Holy Ghost. I'm going to have to switch gears on you here because we went right through this time pretty quickly. We always do. (laughs) And um, so let me ask you this. Um, If people want to find out about you, do you have a website? No, they're just such a hassle to maintain. (laughs) I have a Facebook page. All right. Do you have anything that you want to promote? Not really. I do a bit of art. Um, I'm a counseling therapist um, I do have a near-death experiences support group. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to put the link there, again, that's a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like to put the link there for that, I'm happy for people to stop by and to have a look um, and for people to get in touch if they'd like to talk about their NDE um, through that avenue. Um, but, yeah, that's that's about all. Um, okay. Well, before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? Be compassionate. Be compassionate to yourself. Um, Much of the stuff of judgment and and rubbish stuff that we project onto other people is actually just stuff that we haven't resolved within ourselves. So getting in relationship with yourself compassionately um, accepting that you're loved, something that you work, it's something that you should work on every day. You can work on every day. And it doesn't mean prostrating yourself and meditating for hours. It just means checking in regularly, um, noticing, um, acknowledging. It's really not complicated. There are three things you need to be spiritually connected. Love, praise and gratitude and that's it that's all you need to have that spiritual connection um yeah that's all i've i've really got to to say i think i've said a lot well thank (laughs) you so much and pauline thanks again for being my guest i really appreciate you i wish you the best and enjoy the rest of your day i really appreciate you too jeff thank you so much for for allowing me to come on your show The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.